Welcome to episode 303 of the 200 Churches Podcast. Loving people is not easy. Loving people is not convenient. It's impossible to love someone if you don't know them. And if all I do is go to church and listen to a sermon and I'm in a service and then I go to a Sunday school class and I listen to a teacher teach and I'm not interacting and I'm not doing life with others, I can't love those people. We're called to love and one of the powerful things that God uses to reach other people and to encourage other people is love. And when you spend time serving on a team with someone, or you spend time in a group just talking about life or praying with someone, God gives you an opportunity to love that person. That's what it's about. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast. We're passionate about providing ministry encouragement to pastors of small churches. We release a brand new episode every Wednesday to do just that for you, all of our small church pastor friends. Now here are two guys who are definitely better together. Friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Johnny Craig, and I am enjoying a lovely evening with... One of my very best friends. One of, Johnny? One of? My very best friend. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff Katie. Good to be with you, Johnny. A delight. A delight. Oh, my goodness. How you doing, Jeff? We we saw each other today in person. We should have just recorded. I had my daughter, so we couldn't record then, but it was great to see oh, you, Oh, it man. occurred to me. It occurred to me, I, even with your daughter. I'm sure it occurred to you. It's always occurring to you. I did. I, I had my recorder at the house, though. Oh. But I thought we could just hold an iPhone sure. close to us, and we could have just done like one of those you know, uh, raw recordings. Yeah, we could have. But, but alas, we find ourselves in the digital studio tonight. Here we are. That's okay, because we feel like we're together, because we experienced it so, so, so recently. You know, I would like our listeners to to make note, though, of the fact that after more than 15 months at my church, this today was the second time Jonathan visited me at my church location in my home office. Not home office, in my office at the church. I would like, if they, if they take note of that, which they very well should, then there's nothing else to take note of. I would of, also like them to take note of the fact <laughs> that you have visited the the furniture store that is nary four blocks from my home oh she <laughs> and you did not stop by oh. but how many times have i been in your office with you <laughs> okay well Innumerable. Yeah, you got me that. it's a lot it's, you've been there a lot that's true that's very true <laughs> of course i do have grandchildren just 10 minutes from your home so i will say I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I will not besmirch Newton for my own for my own defense. Newton is a fine town. <laughs> Newton is a fine town. It is. It is. So, Johnny, recently we saw each other when our good friend, Reverend Robert Tarnavisky, visited from the great state of Pennsylvania yes. and the city of brotherly muggers, of brotherly love, <laughs> Philadelphia. Yes. Rob, oh my goodness, what a guy. I love that man. You brought him to my church and I could not be there. No, you couldn't. That's you were horrible. not there that night and we we caroused the facility. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> together. That needs to happen. He wanted to see every nick nook and cranny. Good. And uh we couldn't get into your office though. I tried the I tried the credit card thing, but yeah, it's just <laughs> you got a Fort Knox for an office door. I we couldn't get in. I I lock it, and then sometimes I'm like, that's overkill. I don't need to lock my office door. 
But then, you know, there's like student ministry in there. There's a lot of stuff that happens. And I just, I got a lot of Star Wars memorabilia that I'm trying to keep safe. So it's, you know, it's a risky proposition to leave it open. I mean, let alone a nice word biblical commentary set. <laughs> I don't know if the students would care as much about that. But yes, <laughs> that's probably the most expensive thing in my office. Yes. Oh, okay. I didn't connect. I'm getting old, Johnny. I didn't connect Star Wars and student ministry. <laughs> the kids I, I come should in have. hungry for that Greek exposition, baby. They see that word. <laughs> word biblical they, they salivate they can't help themselves oh man yeah so you stopped today with eliza yes your little your little uh, three-year-old daughter i got to hold her oh, while goodness. she slept so sweet for a time yeah. so sweet and uh got to got to show her around to some of the staff yeah no it was good to have you uh and we had done some renovations since you were last there oh, it so looks amazing uh, yeah, we got to show you some of the some of the newer areas. Jeff, so that was nice. Jeff, you should become a church consultant just in the area of helping churches remodel their sanctuaries because you crushed it. Yeah, it, my claim to fame in that sanctuary is that I had absolutely nothing to do with it. You are you are such a good. I walked around your church and I was like. I mean, at different points, I said to you, this looks so nice. Who did this? Like, who's in charge of making this look this way? You are so hands-off, and yet you are getting such good results. Maybe I shouldn't say and yet. You're empowering your leaders. I tend to feel like if I'm not touching it, right, then it, then I'm not going to be able to – then it's not going to happen, right? I'm, a, I'm, too, I'm too involved, perhaps. You, you and I are on opposite extremes. Absolutely. I feel like if I touch it, it'll wilt. <laughs> Well, so keep my hey man, keep my hands off. You, what they what they've done in that church looks amazing. So you should take all the credit. That's what good leaders do. I was just on the phone with a guy named Josh, and Josh oversaw that whole project in the auditorium. Uh, they actually yeah they remodeled. They ended up doing the whole thing. In fact, just tonight, just before supper, I told him, Josh, I'm so glad that when you went in there, you didn't just do replace the carpet, right? Which is how it started, right? but that you did the whole thing for about twice as much, but still he did it right the first time. It's worth every dollar. Now, yeah, now the whole room is. And here's the motivation. When we invite people into that room, yep. we, we can honor the people that come in because they've got a, they've got a great space to occupy. It's true, and man. That's the motive. It's so true, yeah. So anyway. So, so – yeah, so so Rob showed up, yeah. and uh, uh, you and I—he's our favorite uh, butt of almost every joke uh, on the podcast. She's sick, Rob. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least every joke about pastors east of the Mississippi. <laughs> anyway, so so it was great. Rob came. Uh, he just said, "Hey, we, you know, we should get together." And I I just sent him a screenshot of some f- flight opportunities. Yeah. The guy, the guy gets a direct flight from Philly to Des Moines. That's legit, man. That's awesome. Direct. You know, he his wife drops him off. I pick him There's up. There's no better flight no than layover. a direct flight. Oh, I, I've had one in my life from Des Moines to Portland for the um, for the big little church conference. Yes, way back, you know, a couple of years ago. That's the only direct flight I've ever had in my life. Wow, ever. that stinks. <laughs> and so Rob gets a direct flight out. And yeah, I've never lived in a real big city. Sure, sure. That's the that's the key. Yeah. And uh, he's he spent from uh, Saturday night until Wednesday afternoon. So much fun with me. Oh my goodness, we had a blast. We had a blast. And he honestly, the, the thing with Rob is, yeah, I know him. He's just Rob to me. We were roommates. But when, when I sit down and talk with him, 
he's got 23 years ministry experience in one church. Yeah. He's taken it from about 80 to almost 1800. That's wild. Uh, and he's just, he's such a great leader yep. and so passionate. And hopefully that all comes through in this conversation because when you flip the mic, it's so, it's so counterintuitive. But with him, you know, he speaks in front of, you know, almost 2,000 people every weekend. But you flip the mic on in a little room with just him and I, right? We've known each other for 35 years. And all of a sudden, he gets quiet. Oh, <laughs> he gets no. quieter. But he loosened up. I told him, of course. I told him, you know, man, just, just bring it. We get done with the recording. He says to me, Jeff, yo, 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 Jeff, if, if you can't use this, man, man, seriously, if you can't <laughs> use it, if it's not, you it know, if it does my, not, it does not I'm not offended. It doesn't no. hurt my feelings, Jeff. Exactly. You don't have to just don't, you know, you don't have to air it. Like, Rob, so we did two, by the way. Yeah. We did two episodes. I love it. And one was more about ministry stuff, and the other one was more about uh, the heart of a pastor. Oh, man. Well, he's the, the right personal... guy to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I just had a blast. So let's uh, let's get right into it. Get right into it after we talk for 10 minutes. Get right into it with a uh, conversation with Rob Tarnaviski. Pastor Rob Tarnaviski, thanks for joining us in the studio today. The opulent 200 churches. Podcast studio. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Without now, your your agreement to appear live on the podcast had some riders and stipulations to it. Had to be without Johnny. Had to be without Johnny was he, probably the biggest one. He not only had to be not in the recording studio, he had to be out of the state, which he is. Which and, is which is why I'm here. So he went to Pennsylvania at the same time you left Pennsylvania. We can't be in the same state together. I'm wondering about that. I mean, it's just I mean, it's a coincidence, but no, it's it would be it would be better, of course. I have to say this, see, I'm under contract. It would be better if Johnny were here, but since he's not, I suppose we'll have to make it work. Miss you, Johnny. So, Rob, tell us a little bit about your church. How long have you been there? I'm assuming at least half the people listening have never heard of you. That maybe they hear of us, you know, denigrating you or making jokes about this Philly pastor, Philly cheesesteak Rob. I think Johnny calls you. But tell us about yourself, your church, how long you've been there, and just a little bit about what your church is like. I first met Jeff, nineteen eighty three. Yeah, but that's not talking about your church, though. Well, that's how I met Jeff. Okay, we roomed together in college, so we've known each other for many years. Um, I'm born and raised in Philadelphia. And since 1996, I've been pastor of a um, neat church in Northeast Philly, and I'm going on 22, 23 years there this coming Easter. And it's a it's a it's a church that really reflects the heart of our city, the diversity of our city. People say our people are rough people, are tough people. You know, if you're a sports fan. You often hear it said that Philly has the worst sports fan in the country, sports fans in the country. Uh, it's not true. They're passionate, and if someone doesn't like you, they let you know that they don't like you. And if they don't think you're playing well, they let you know that you're not playing it's well. It's kind of like on the podcast, <laughs> which is why Johnny's not here. That's right. So, that's right. So Philly is a, is a town where people are passionate. People tell you what's on their mind. And people don't care if they offend you when they talk to you. So it's got an attitude. And um, uh, being born and raised there, my wife being born and raised in Philly, we love the people. And God's given us an opportunity for the last 23 years almost to be right in the heart of that place. And 
Over the years, we've gotten a chance to see God do really cool things in a lot of people. Okay, tell us about your kids. Uh, my daughter is 28. My son is 27. Both are teaching in New York, and they both teach right now in Harlem, and they love the opportunity they have to interact with kids who are um, very different than they were as they were growing up, and they really have a heart for um, the kids that they're ministering to. My daughter right now is teaching kindergarten in Harlem, and my son is a junior high teacher, and God's using them in neat ways there, and they both are part of Hillsong Church in New York, and um, God's given them more and more opportunities to be involved there, and they have a great group of friends through Hillsong, and so um, my wife and I couldn't be more thrilled about where they are and how God's using them. So when you say Harlem, like I know where Manhattan is, it's right? It's above Man. It, Harlem is right above Manhattan. So if you keep going north, okay, um, above Manhattan, the very next area you enter is Harlem. So I know that if I go across to George Washington, I think there's an Amsterdam Avenue off to my north, right yes. to the left. Yes, and then it's is Harlem just keep, above that. Just keep going above. So I don't know what street you go, 120th or somewhere up there, begins Harlem. And it, it starts to look very different than Manhattan does. Yeah. Um, and a lot my, more residential? A lot more residential, a lot more rundown, a lot more businesses. You see more businesses that are shuttered, more businesses with the iron grates in front of them yeah. at night. Um, it has a, a much more urban feel to it than Manhattan does. Manhattan is glitzy. It's glamorous. Harlem has just a rougher feel to it. It it is rougher, it is. right? It is. Do do you ever are you ever concerned about their safety there? You know what? God's got them. What can you do? God's got them. We growing up in Philly, being around that city our whole lives, that's where God has them. So we 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 let them go in faith, believing God's going to care for them greater than we could care for them if we kept them close and tried to protect them on our own. So God's got them. What was your church like when you got there at Easter of 1996? Because you had tried out at a different church. I say tried out, right? Audition, right? Candidated at a different church. I don't know that you got to the candidating. Oh, you did go through candidating. Yep. At a different church, it didn't work out. Didn't work out. And I remember that experience was kind of rough. And then it was, was it just months after that? Yeah. And uh, and how did you come upon this church? I, you know... Jeff if and John, remember. yeah, Jeff and Johnny. Every every week when I when I listen to the podcast, um, you challenge us to to do what God's asking us to do. And at the time, uh, my wife and I were serving. I was interning at the church I grew up in. Um, our kids were in the Sunday school. Our kids were in the preschool, and the plan was for me to become part of that staff. And it would have been a very easy, comfortable transition for us. And God just started to stir in both of us that it was time for us to leave. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to go to my wife and tell her that we're leaving this church to go elsewhere. So I said to God, brave, godly man of faith that I am, (laughs) that if this is what you're doing, then let my wife be the one who says to me, she's ready to go. Hmm. And it wasn't but a few weeks later, she said to me, you know what? I think God's going to be moving us. And so we knew. And so it was the end of towards the end of 1995. So I resigned my internship and people asked us where we were going to go. We said, we didn't know. And it was a, it was within a matter of weeks that God 
showed us that there was this church in Northeast Philadelphia looking for a pastor, literally blocks from where my wife grew up. And so we went. Did that make it easier for her? Yes. Okay. Um, we we knew the neighborhood. She kno- knew the neighborhood. And we went. And that Easter of 96, we started. How many people? Under 100. Yeah. It was a, it was a 200 church, right? Yeah. Give or take 100 or two. Yep. And you were the only staff member besides a janitor, maybe, a yep. secretary? Part-time secretary. Okay. Yeah. And... And, um, and and things started to change pretty quickly. So now, you know, if you're listening and you're in a, in, in a rural environment or a small town, uh, this is not like what you, what you went through isn't typical because 80% of churches never top 200, right? So what you experienced isn't typical. But what you experienced, Johnny and I joke that you're the consummate 200 church pastor because you've grown – by about 50 to 75 people on average every year since you've been there. You you know, you didn't get there, and all of a sudden, three years later, you had 4,000 people, like some of these churches are doing, right? I mean, you got there, and you've been, you've been grinding it out. One of the words you use a lot is brutal, because you've been grinding out ministry, you know, the nitty-gritty yeah. week-in, week-out ministry grind where you got to be committed to ministry, committed to God, committed to people, committed to this calling. So within the first few years, the church, how did the church grow? The first, and it was by, it was by hundreds, not thousands. No, we, we grew, we grew slowly. We just grew slowly. And, and when people say, well, what is it you started doing? We, we tried to communicate hope to people. We tried to communicate God's word in a way that people could understand that gave them hope that that's what we tried to do. And we just tried, we just tried to love the people that we had and we encouraged them to reach out to more people. It was, it was, it was really that simple. We didn't have a grand plan. I, I grew up in a church world that taught me it was what I, what I knew. It was how I acted. That's how, that's what God wanted. And what God showed me was that it's my life that honors him, and something as simple as loving someone is fulfilling a great commandment that God gave us. And so what I tried to impress with our people is just love people and um, be someone that people look at that they, um, they wonder, why is that person who is suffering with cancer or is going through a divorce or has filed for bankruptcy what gives them the ability to keep moving forward, to keep smiling? And so it was something that simple, trying to bring Jesus into the everyday, everyday life. And as we did that, God started to bring people across our pathway, and God started to bring them into the church. So it, there wasn't a grand plan. It was just I was a 30-year-old pastor trying to figure it out, and all I knew to do was to try to make the Bible practical and to help people understand it. So it wasn't just telling people what God wanted them to know. It was as practical as I can help them understand how God wanted them to live. And that's what we did. We tried to apply it to everyday life. And as our people started to grow, they got excited and they started to bring other people with them. What keeps churches small sometimes is controlling leadership, right? Not allowing 
the church to step outside of the box. You've got to stay within a certain realm of appropriateness. And, oh, we're not going to do that. That's too edgy. We're not going to do this thing over here because we would not look good in the community. Our little group of churches that we fellowship with might not like us or think we're doing the right thing if we seem to be catering to sinners and to the lost and not, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so yeah. boards, whether they be deacons or elders or or even just the influencers in the church, can often keep a pastor on a short leash. And that's kind of like the kiss of death in terms of like outreach, risk, doing things that 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 leverage your strengths, but might not appear appropriate to certain constituencies. Yeah, and, and I, so how how was your church about that when, when you got there? When I arrived, there was a, a great group of elders. Our church's elder um, at the time it was elder ruled. How many elders did you have? Six elders. Okay, and they brought me in and said that the mandate they were giving me was to um, lead the church forward, and they were leading the church at the time, but they wanted to moved to a place where it was not elder-led, but it was um, staff-led. They were willing to give up the control. They gave up the control because they understood that a church that is controlled by a board will not grow. They knew that. And they they said that they had to make that transition. They were bringing me in, and together we were going to make the transition. And they willingly gave up control. As we, as we started to grow, they gave up their control to the staff. How often would they come back to you and say, hey, Rob, you know, what's going on here? What are you doing here? Listen, there there was a lot of back and forth. So there was a lot of communication. At the time, we met monthly. We had monthly board meetings. And I did my best to keep them informed as to what was going on. But it, it, to be very honest, Jeff, they were the biggest cheerleaders. They were the biggest change agents. They were the ones who kept saying to me, do more, do more, do more. Because here we are in Philadelphia, we were surrounded by tens of thousands of people who were not going to church, who were unsaved, and who were driving by our building every day. And the elders were saying, what are we going to do to bring them in? So they were, the, they were never holding me back. I, I, you know, in 22 years there, I think I could think of one, maybe two times where they had to say to me, that was too far. You shouldn't have done that. They, they're the ones who are always telling me that was great, but what can you do to do more? And it's, it's their heart. Our church has been around a hundred years and the legacy that our church has is it's always been a church that is outward focused. It has never been a church that's been about the people who are there. The church is always focused on the people who aren't there. That's, that's their legacy. And these men lived that legacy and they passed that legacy on to me. And they they basically ordered me, don't make it about the people who are here. Make it about the people who aren't here yet. So how are we as a church going to operate to bring those people in? And so when I come in as a 30-year-old pastor and the elders are cheering me on and saying, go for it, that's a pretty good environment. I'm thinking right now about you dropping into a different church. If you'd have gone to that church that you and I both know about. It would not have gone well. It would not have gone well. It's not necessarily just you and your leadership or your skills or ability, but it's the team supporting you, the lay leadership team. So, Pastor, I just want to say to you, uh, it's it's not about if if things don't seem to be going the way you want them to be going, 
It may have very little to do with your gifts or abilities and more to do with how much you are allowed to lead and how far you're allowed to go to reach the people in your community. So sometimes it becomes about when we have to decide whether or not we're going to stay at a church and invest our lives, invest the one and only life God's given us and the gifts God's given us into a church, we have to ask, is this a good investment? And are the people around me going to be the wind beneath my wings as I can be to them? Or are they really going to be the anchor, right? That's going to hold me back. So as you look at your church, if you're complaining to your wife, if you're complaining to your your best friend, or you're complaining to other pastors in town, ask yourself, is there something I can do to either change out my lay leadership team, a couple of them maybe that may need to be changed out, or bring them up to speed and cast some vision into their life and allow them to see something else, maybe by taking them to a different church yeah. and allowing them to talk to a different team. Yeah. Or maybe you've got to find a different church where, again, like Rob, you you found a church where your gifts are maximized, and they're, yeah. they're like squeezing you for all your worth. I mean, yeah. you're pretty much leaving it all out there on the field. Yeah, I, I remember coming home from the interview at the church, and my wife asked me how it went, and I said to her, whether or not they call me as pastor, the encouraging thing is that churches that we have a heart to be in exist because this is one of them. And if God doesn't take us to this one, he's going to take us to another one just like it. Oh, you found out that they existed. There they was existed. one. They existed. And so, you know, for the pastors who are listening, who are frustrated that they're not on the same page as their leadership team, elders or deacons, whatever it is you have, what my church did before I arrived they took about six months or eight months to go to churches in the area that were growing, and they went to services together. They observed the church. They interacted with church leaders. They read one or two books on, um, you know, becoming a team and a church that could that could move forward together. So there was a lot of work, a lot of prep, a lot of prayer. And so by the time I arrived, and, and the amazing thing is the pastor who led them through all of that change, when the change was just about done, he said to the elders, my time here is done. I've done as much as I can do. I God brought me here to lead you through the change process, and I'm going to pass the baton to someone else who's going to lead you forward. I mean, who does that today? But this pastor did. Pastor Dave resigned and said, my time here is done. You need someone else to go to the next place. And so God's hand was on Bethel even then. So I never forget that. So 22, 23 years later, when people say, oh, look at what Rob did. No, it's not what Rob did. It's what God did. I'm just thrilled that I get to be a part of it. And that's something I never forget. And so for me, it's it's the thrill. It's the honor that I get to serve in a place where God is at work. And there are times where I disagree with the elders. We butt heads on something. There are times where I leave an elder meeting and I'm frustrated. But when I get back to my office and I think about everything that God has allowed to happen at Bethel, the way the elder board has been, you know, has, has cheered me on the way the elders have given me freedom with the staff to lead, to try things. We've tried some things that have failed miserably and the elders never once have said, you shouldn't have done that. 
What the elders have said to me is, what did you learn from this failure that can help you so that next time you try something like this, it'll be a success? And that's the attitude these guys have. So when we disagree or when they tell me no on something or, or not yet on something, I'm, I'm okay with that because we're on the same page. And to me, when I sit with other pastors who express frustration that they are not on the same page as their leadership team, my heart really goes out to them. So as you said, Jeff, take time to try to get on the same page with your team because you cannot move forward as a church if the pastor and the leadership team are not on the same page. You can't. It just won't happen. Rob, what kind of a leader were you in those early years when you first got there? You brought an associate on by the six, end of the first year. Six months after. Yeah. What, like, how would you describe I mean, looking back, you're only 30, 31 years old at the time. What kind of a leader were you back then? What did you think about leadership? I don't think I knew much about leadership. I think when I, when I see someone who's 30 years old today, and I I just say to myself, that's how old I was when I started. You realize how young 30 is. So for all the 30-year-olds out there, you're young, and you have a yeah. lot to learn. Yep. And I, I don't mean that in a demeaning way. Right. But life has a way of teaching you, and life has a way of maturing you if you're just willing to learn. And so I'm thankful that the elders were patient with me. I'm thankful. I remember when I arrived in April of 96. We had one service, and we had a Sunday school class before the service, and then we did one Sunday morning service. And so God allowed us to to start growing that summer. And so we talked about that fall of 96, launching a second Sunday service. I said, okay, let's launch a, a service. One of the elders handed me a book, How to Go to Two Services by Elmer Towns. Hey, that's wonderful. <laughs> wonderful book. Standard. The yes. standard. And so he handed me that book, said, here, just follow this. So I read the book. I was ready to go. And I remember one night we called a meeting and there were about a dozen key leaders in my office. And I said, okay, here we go. We're going to, what do we need to do to move forward? And there was a, a woman, um, Nancy Curry, who, um, whose husband was the chair of the board of elders. And she had worked and, and in a significant way in a church for years and a very gifted leader, very gifted administrator. And as we got into the meeting with all of these heavy hitters, I was lost. I was lost. And she saw that I was lost. And she was sitting across the room from me. And Nancy started to lead that meeting. Not in a power grab, but she started to lead. She started to say, hey, Pastor Rob, I think we should talk about this. Hey, Pastor Rob, what do you think if we do this? She is the one who led that meeting. And I remember sitting there, and I wasn't angry. I remember sitting there saying, thank you, God, for people like Nancy with a heart of a servant whose goal is to move the church forward. And I've never forgotten that meeting. That meeting was in 1996, and I've never forgotten that meeting. And I learned so much from that meeting. I've learned so much from Nancy and others through the years about how to lead, how to work with people, how to manage a meeting, how to do all of that to bring a team together, to, to reach a consensus, to put a plan together to reach a goal. I had book knowledge of that, but man, is it different than practical knowledge. Yeah, when all those real people get in the room and they all have these personalities and opinions, 
It's like all your book knowledge goes right out the window. And when you're and when you're the I was going to say senior pastor. I was the only pastor. Yeah. And you're the youngest one in the room. And people like Nancy have 30 plus years of leadership experience in the work world. And others have similar experience. It's humbling. But when you're surrounded by good people, it's a beautiful thing. And so that's the heart of the church that I stepped into. And that's why God's blessed Bethel over the years. It's because of people like Nancy Curry. It's because of people like her husband who was just a faithful prayer warrior. Her husband would walk up to you every Sunday, um, ask you what he could pray for. And you'd, you'd say, you know, you can please pray for this. And he would say, okay, let's pray. His, her, Nancy's husband, Evan, taught me, don't tell someone you're going to pray for him. Stop and pray for him right there. And Evan would... As soon as he was done praying with me, he would pull out a three by five card from his from his pocket, write down my name and what we prayed for. And the next Sunday, he would come back to me and say, I've been praying for that all week. How's it going? And I'd give him an update and he'd pray with me again and he'd update his card. And what I found out several years later when Evan passed away was he wasn't just doing that with me. Evan was doing that with dozens and dozens and dozens of people. And Evan was leading our board and Nancy was his wife. And there were so many other people like that who we de- who were determined to build a church that would show the love of Christ. They invited me to be a part of it. I was the fortunate one that got to learn from them. And so I learned so much as a young 30-year-old. And they were patient with me. They let me make mistakes. They let me cut my teeth. And as I got more and more stable and better at leading and managing, they were very willing to let me lead. But um, they they helped by setting up the guardrails for me. Yeah, throwing you some lifelines. It was, But it was a beautiful thing. Nancy threw you some lifelines in that meeting. Absolutely. That's awesome. So now let's move ahead 10, 15 years. Okay. Now you've got more staff. You you're at that six seven hundred spot six seven eight hundred, and you guys you guys hung there for years for a while seven eight hundred right yeah how many years like a long time. five years or longer yeah and there's that they talk about the two hundred barrier they talk about a six hundred barrier I think and a thousand barrier and you guys are just in between that six hundred and a thousand and at some point. You were able to get past that. Could could it have been that it took you and and your team like five years to figure out where you were at and what needed I, to happen? I, I think that's exactly what it is. Um, I I think that, and again, in, in our setting, we were in, you know, Philadelphia today is the fifth or sixth largest city in America. There are so many unchurched people. If every church in Philadelphia was filled to capacity, there would be hundreds of thousands of unchurched people all around that were not in church. So my setting is very different than others who are in rural settings. Or yeah. um, So there were so many people around us. And so the opportunity was great for us. But I'm convinced looking back that the reason we got stuck at those points was because God knew we weren't ready. So whether it was me not being ready as a leader or our team not being ready or our church not being ready, what I realized is that God's not going to send people to Bethel who need to be cared for, who need to be nurtured, who need to be discipled if we're not ready for him. So if God's going to send an, an individual or a family to our church, 
only to have them fall through the cracks and receive no care, God's not going to send them to Bethel. And so when we've sort of pulled back and said we need to get ready, we need to make sure we can handle more people or we could care for more people, that's when we've seen God allow us to move past those barriers. So saying that, what was the thing that got you? How did you care for them? How did you develop? What kind of a system you know, did you develop to care for people? One, one of the biggest challenges for us as we grew was building a system that would care for people, and that's really the groups or the teams. And we had to help our groups and teams become places where people were cared for genuinely. And that took us a while to really understand. But once we got to a place where whether you serve on a team or you attend a group, that's where you're cared for. That's where you're prayed for. If you're sick, someone from that team comes and visits you. Um, when there's a death in a family, we find out about that because someone from that team or that group lets us know. And when we began to understand that that's how the care in our church was going to take place and we began to help our teams and groups to do that, that's when we were able to handle a larger group of people because we as a pastoral team could not take care of all that. And so when we began to understand that care takes place in community, so I don't care if you're a church of three, or I'm sorry, if I don't care if you're a church of 30 or 300 or 3,000, you need to provide a way for everyone to experience care. Everybody wants to know they belong. So you said care takes place in community. What does that mean it, as compared to care? Care doesn't take place in a church service. Okay. Someone walks into Bethel or walks into your church. They may feel accepted when they walk into your church, but care only takes place when they're known by other people and they will not be known in a, if you're in a smaller church where you do one service and then you have a time to get to know each other afterwards. In that environment, you can provide care in a service because a person comes to a service and there's a room full of people and they get to get to know each other and they can experience community in that setting. It works there. But once you get above, what, 80, 90 people, there's too many people in the room. Not everybody's going to know everybody else. And now people start to fall through the cracks. And so someone can come into a service where there's a hundred people and they can be excited about what's going on. There's good music. There's good worship. The teaching is good. They enjoy being there. But when their kids are struggling or their marriage is falling apart or there's a death in the family, if all they know is that they go to a service and leave, they experience no care. If they're looking for a place to belong and all they do is step into a service there's a hundred people there and they leave. People could be friendly to them. People could say hi. People could say great to see you again. But if no one really knows that person, they don't feel like they're part of a community. They need to be in a smaller group, whether it's a serving team or a group that meets during the week, because that's where they are known. We all have a desire to be known. So the professional pastor who is a pastor of a 300 church and shows up at the bedside or shows up in the living room when there's marital conflict or at the bedside when there's a, uh, in the hospital, right? When there's a sickness, who's better to care for the person, a group member or the professional past? I say professional, that's not fair. 
or the pastor of the church who really doesn't have a personal relationship. Right. It, it's the people. It's the person who knows the other person. Um, our groups. So there you go. You're going back to being known again. Yeah, our groups do life together. Our groups meet regularly. They meet in people's homes, where they meet in a church, but they meet around a table. They pray together. They cry together. Our teams before they serve pray together. They 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 interact with each other. So there's that sense of building community where if I'm not if someone doesn't show up to serve on a team one week, the team knows they're missing. The team reaches out to them and says, "Hey, we missed you today." And that's when they find out that they're sick or that's when they found out find out there was a death in the family. So that's where that's the community that they're a part of. And if someone in your church is not connected in that way, they're missing out on that. And it may be great for you to show up as the pastor and try to help them, and it can be helpful. But how much more helpful is it when a person showing up to comfort or to help that individual is the same person that has been serving alongside of them for the last six months every week, or the same person who's been in a group for the last six months meeting with them and praying with them, it's a different experience. So I'm thinking about the pastor of a church where his the model is there may there maybe are not any small groups and maybe there's sixty or seventy people and they meet on a Sunday and maybe there's a Sunday school class or maybe there's one group where there's ten people. And who when they when they need pastoral care, who who they expect they're gonna see? Yeah. The pastor. So the pastor has to do it. But the pastor may not necessarily have yeah close personal relationships. So what should that pastor now begin that, to think about? That, If you're that pastor, start to think about how you can take your existing teams and before that team serves, just huddle them up and have the team leader pray. The team can hold hands and they can take a minute to say that who has a prayer request, they can pray. It's something that simple. If you do the Sunday school model and there's 20, 20 people in your Sunday school class, Take time in your Sunday school class to break it up into two groups and just sit in circles and everybody everybody shares a prayer request or you break up the guys and, and the girls. You can do something like that with the existing groups you have to make the group smaller, but give people an opportunity on a smaller scale to to, to spend more time interacting because the reason groups and teams are so effective is because when people, Andy Stanley says that you experience care in a circle, not sitting in rows. And what he means by that is services are great. We love the worship. We love the teaching. That's not where I experience care. I experience care when I'm huddled around other people sitting in a circle and you're serving together or you're in a group together because as people know you, people want to help you and people want to be a part of your life. That's how you experience care. So any church can do that. So if you're a church of 50 and you do one service and you have a Sunday school class, create an opportunity within your Sunday school class for the people to gather and have a time where maybe, you know, they you you have a passage that you're studying, then you break up into groups and you give people an opportunity to, to, to discuss it, to talk about how it applies to their life or to their marriage or a challenge that they would say they've learned how to deal with because of that passage. And as they're interacting with each other, they get to know each other better and more intimately. And you give people an opportunity to connect on a different level that way. And if you're in a church culture where the people would say, well, we don't, we don't want to get in groups. We don't want to talk. We're used to you teaching or we're used to the Sunday school teacher teaching. We come to sit and to learn. 
we don't want to get into all this coffee talk together. Get out of that church. Yeah. Get out of that church because those people are they don't they don't want to reach out. They don't want to go anywhere. And and that's fine. If they don't want to that that's how they want it. Fine. But that's not how you want it, pastor. Hey, the Bible says they will know us by our love. And now you're going to start quoting scripture on us. No, but sorry to do that, Pastor <laughs> Jeff. But loving people is not easy. Loving people is not convenient. It's impossible to love someone if you don't know them. And if all I do is go to church and listen to a sermon and I'm in a service and then I go to a Sunday school class and I listen to a teacher teach and I'm not interacting and I'm not doing life with others, I can't love those people. We're called to love. And one of the ways that God uses or one of the powerful things that God uses to reach other people and to encourage other people is love. And when you spend time serving on a team with someone or you spend time in a group just talking about life or praying with someone, God gives you an opportunity to love that person. That's what it's about. So it is inconvenient. It is inconvenient. In many ways, it's easier to go to a Sunday school class and just be taught. But when you sit around a circle and interact with each other, you give God the opportunity to really let you love someone, and that's how you start to build relationships, and that's how you start to experience community. That's what Jesus, that's the model Jesus showed us. Well, you quoted Andy Stanley, circles are better than rows. Yeah. And if you're not doing this in your church, that's so simple. You're right. It's so simple to do. And then you talked about dividing the guys and the girls. That is so simple to do and so powerful. Somebody was just here uh, a couple weeks ago, said, you know, how could we have a better time of prayer in our small group? And I said, have you ever divided them up, men and women, and go in different rooms and share prayer requests and pray for each other? Oh, no, we've never done that. I don't I don't know if that would work. I said, listen, try it. just try it. Try it. When we've done it, it's it's been phenomenal. We, ha- we have to do that in our group in order to have any kind of openness right. and transparency. Yeah, we do the same thing in my because, group. Because, yeah, I mean, you can't do it now. The group, the group that I had in my last church, we were together for like 12, 14 years, and that was our, our closest times of sharing and transparency and openness and knowing each other was when the men were in one room and the women were in another room. I'll never forget the one night. This happened over and over. Me and the guys would go into my kitchen. We had these pocket doors that we would pull, so you know, we were, it was private. My wife and the ladies would be in our living room. And we were in there, and we were talking, and the guys were opening up, and we're talking and sharing, and it was really good. We finally got to prayer, and we got done. We talked a little more, and I slid the pocket door. We went out into the hallway and t- toward the living room, and I thought for sure these women were going to have their coats on. You know, they're, oh, man, what took us so long? They hadn't even started to pray yet. Yeah, They were sitting there sharing and talking getting to know each other, yeah. you know, spill, basically spilling their guts. Yeah. You know, somebody that they could confide in and who they were going to pray for each other. We just went back in the kitchen and we sat and we talked some more. Uh so these are just really good ideas. Yeah, and and, and at Bethel what what I've seen so often is when there is a need more often than not by the time I or one of the other pastors contacts the person or visits the person, someone from their small group or someone from their serving team has already been there. Very often, their small group has already said, we're going to provide meals. And that's where the care comes from because 
they know each other and they love each other. And so whatever size church you're in, whether it's 30 or 300, give your people the opportunity to build into each other's lives, pray together, do a Bible study together, men or women, or do a Bible study for singles and married couples or couples with kids or couples with no kids. It's so easy to do. And then people start to realize that we have things in common. We can encourage each other. We can pray for each other. And it's amazing to see how much people grow just by encouraging each other and loving each other. So much spiritual growth takes place when people say, I'm going to love someone who's different and I'm going to encourage them. They begin to grow. You start to see God do amazing things in their lives because people grow when they do, not just when they learn. And loving is is action. And when you choose to love, you start to grow in all sorts of beautiful ways. So that has done a, it's it's made a huge difference in our church. You know, it's been a long time since our junior year in college when we roomed together. And you've actually learned a few things, Rob. It's somewhat encouraging to me. <laughs> Johnny's a great teacher. <laughs> He's a great teacher. That's right. You know, when we do these podcasts, we have conversations with people. And we've had this conversation, and I can't think of like some fancy title to put on this episode. We're just talking about ministry and people. We got into talking about groups. We talked a little bit about leadership and learning. We talked about the type of uh, boards and, and lay leadership teams you need to have. And if and it's like a bunch of spaghetti thrown at the wall. And if any of it has stuck on you, for heaven's sake, act, act, do something. Don't. We are coming to the end of a year, and whenever you're listening to this, it really doesn't matter. You know, you're coming to the end of a week, the end of a month. Are you really going to go into another week, another month, carrying the same old baggage you've been carrying for so long? If you need to make a change, whether it's simply changing out a person on your leadership team, uh, changing how you communicate with them, or changing the church that you're serving at, do something. Act. The times in my life, and Rob, you could probably say the same when you think about it, when you actually took action and said, okay, I've been dealing with this, I've been dealing with this, I've been, I've been stonewalling and stalling, I'm going to take action. Mm-hmm. Then you actually see God begin to do something. Yeah, and I would encourage every, every listener to just say, okay, God, between now and the end of the year, help me make one change. What is it? Just ask God. Every day ask God, what's one change I can make in my church, in my ministry? What's one change? God will show you. And when he does, act on it. Doesn't mean you're going to get it perfect. Doesn't mean you're going to do it and there aren't going to be any glitches. But when you're willing to make a change and you tell God you're willing to make a change, he will prompt you. He will lead you. And it's always going to be good. So go for it go for it. It does. And if it doesn't work perfectly, you've learned something and you're better for the next time. So what you said is absolutely true. Don't keep doing the same thing. Try something different. And I think God's going to bless you for it when you do. Pastor Rob, you've got the last word. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Thank you. Yo, Johnny, what'd you think of that conversation, huh? Huh? That's a little, little Philly style. Listening to Rob talk is like a fun hobby for me. 
I honestly, I want to run a yo counter. How many times will that man say yo in a conversation? <laughs> I love it. He he said yo in the early eighties when we were rooming oh, he's together. He's been yo he can't even stop himself. I listen to him preach sometimes, and it's like that's his verbal. T- like I say um or right. Like those are b- verbal ticks for me. Like right, right. Or, you know, yeah. um, like his, his is yo. If you need to say something, <laughs> say yo, you know? So I love it. I love it so hey, much. For years, for years when we would call each other, this is how we would answer. Literally, we'd see the caller ID. Yeah. I'd pick it up. Yo. <laughs> Not surprised. And he would say, and he would say, Yo. I'm not surprised by that in the least. Not surprised. Terms of endearment. Terms of endearment. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I give Rob a hard time. I called him cheesesteak Rob. Now I'm making fun of the yo. This is a true story, Jeff. I I was having a moment. I was having a moment last week. Kind of a hard, yeah, kind of a hard moment, I would say, with ministry, with something that was going on. And, uh, and I called Rob. It was something that I just knew that Rob could speak into. He's got this church that... Like everybody loves every political persuasion, every ethnic background, different races, different socioeconomic statuses. He's got all these people and they're all getting together somehow at, you know, Bethel. It's crazy. I just felt like he, he, he would know what I was talking about. He would know where I was coming from. And he just poured so much encouragement into me. And, like, I only know Rob through you. It's like, he doesn't owe me anything, yeah, Jeff. Like, right. Rob doesn't owe me. If anything, Rob should be mad at me for the stuff I've said about him on this very podcast. <laughs> like, the man doesn't <laughs> owe me a thing. And he uh, he poured so much encouragement into me, and he was so helpful. And it's like you said, man, he's so passionate. He was talking about yeah. ministry just, just to me. And he could have been up at the Catalyst Conference. Like, he right? was so much passion pouring out of him he said such kind things to me i mean things that that he didn't have to say at all and uh that meant a lot to me so i just yeah for all the for all the guff that i have given rob uh on this podcast i he's such a great guy i really i really appreciate him well here's the interesting thing i didn't even think about it until just this moment as you were talking he said he started listening to us a couple months before episode 38 and 39, of which he appeared. Okay. So 302 episodes minus 20, let's say. Sure. He's been listening to you for 280 episodes. So oh, poor man. He, he knows you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He knows you. Yeah. And for over five years, he's been listening to you. Yeah. And, of course, he's heard everything I've ever complained or everything I've ever said about you. <laughs> and so... You've got that relationship. But that's the same thing for our listeners. We have a relationship with you that is, uh, in some ways, it's one-sided because we don't hear your voice. But in other ways, over the years, man, we got got several emails this week. At least I got several emails. I think you might have gotten one or two of the same ones from our listeners this week. And uh, love, love getting contact from our listeners. In fact... I talked to a couple on the phone as well. I had good conversations and uh, just got to hear, you know, where they're at and what they're doing. Yeah. So, uh, and, and just today I went to a funeral. The pastor is a full-time chaplain in a care facility. 
Okay. And prior to that, he served in small churches for 30 years. And he said, it was intentional on my part. And in fact, he had, he had another job that he would do bivocationally in order to support his work at smaller churches. Wow. And I immediately like come right up alongside this guy. I'm like, dude, we, we have this podcast, yeah. you know, ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. And as we talked, I told him, oh, by the way, I said, I, I'm going to contact you. We're going to have lunch. And then at some point, you and I are going to sit down and record. Yeah. And he just looked at me. I said, oh, yeah. I said, your story, you've got, you've got a ton to say. Your passion for small churches, mm-hmm. it's, it's just awesome. We, we talk like this all the time, but getting together with pastors is life-changing. Yeah. And we've had that opportunity to do it uh, both virtually and in person. There's so many cool stories that people email us with. I think, Jeff, I got this one. Somebody emailed me and not you, which is so strange because oh, nice. I'm... I'm an idiot, you know, when people do that. And I don't think I responded, which is classic. So this is my response, and then I'll email, I'll email him back. His name is Leonard Edlow, okay? Leonard Edlow okay. emailed me because I mentioned Willie James uh, Jennings, who uh, wrote yeah. the Acts commentary that I loved so much as I was preaching. Yep. And he was saying that he loves Willie James Jennings as well, and he went to some of his lectures. Uh, cool stuff, really cool stuff. And then he kind of tells his story. He says, I'm a bivocational pastor. I've served small rural black churches for 21 years. And then he says, I owned the largest black-owned chain of pharmacies in the United States for over 40 years. This man is a pharmacist pastor. Oh, my goodness. Like, he went to, he is this doctor of pharmacy or whatever they call it, pharmaceutical science or whatever, and he's bivocational pastoring. I mean, how big is your heart that you're, you know, how, that's just incredible to me. So I got that from that from Leonard, and of course I didn't respond because I'm the worst, uh, and now I'm going to respond. But I was thinking of it as you were talking because that's such a cool, that's such a cool story. And this guy's out there, and he's listening to the podcast and somehow being encouraged by our idiocy, probably more encouraged by Rob than us, uh, but it's just so much fun <laughs> to hear these so stories. So here's the deal. Here's the prescription for this guy. Oh, geez. He's got to... He's got to come on our podcast, I Dr. Len. I exactly what I thought. He does. Dr. Len. Listen, if you're listening, Dr. Dr. Len. Len. Leonard, yes. Get on the podcast. You're, you're a, We're going to reach out. Very, in the very near future, you, we've got to have you on our We're gonna podcast. We're going to do it. Yeah, that'd be so much fun. I, what, what a perspective crazy story, right? Yeah, that guy would have. For sure. And, rural, and being an African-American pastor, well, a black rural, pastor. He says rural black churches. Definitely. We're going to get Leonard on. That's going to be a cool, that'll be a fun time too. So, so. so let me say one more thing about this. Please. So when you talk about rural black churches, man, there's so much we could get into about that in yeah. terms of learning. And immediately I think, okay, I just want to remind all of our listeners, this podcast is a hobby for us. It is not <laughs> any part of any job. And just like every hobby, do. it loses us money. <laughs> Well, well, but no, but it, but it fits in the nooks and crannies of our lives. Oh, yeah, and for sure. There's so many times when I wish that we had more time or resources to go in a certain direction. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And and minister to our listeners in a deeper way. Um, and this is like this is one of those areas. So Len can help us well, in this. Sure. He can give us a perspective yes. that we're never able to give our listeners, and yeah. that is so. Valuable. My life has changed in the last ten years because I've been with people who are so different than me. Yeah, and that's been to my benefit and to my blessing. Yeah. So, 
I look forward to having a guy like I mean, I hear about a guy like that, and I'm just thinking, oh man, bivocational pastor, ding ding ding. There's yeah. three cherries right there, right, right on the little on the little uh, what do you call those things? Slot, Slot machines, machine, yeah, <laughs> right. And then then rural churches. There's another one. African American yeah. churches. Yeah. yeah, I mean this is that's awesome. I'm excited about that. Cool stuff, man. Well, cool stuff. Yeah, just please re- reply. I'm, to the I'm gentleman, gonna reply to Leonard please. now. Take care of that. Uh, I, yeah, I will. I'm so sorry. Somebody, oh. a member of our staff emailed me and said, hey, I sent you an email that you never responded to. And I, I've said, I'm, I'm really sorry. No news is good news for me. Like, if you ask me a question and my answer, like, what do you, if you say, like, what do you think of this? And I think it's good. Like, I probably just won't respond. <laughs> like, I'll only respond with bad news. It's terrible. I'm the worst. I have the worst email etiquette of all time. Anyway, sorry. Well, four little kids, man. Yeah. Four little kids and a busy wife and a busy life. True that. True that. So, hey, next week, next week we have a returning guest. The last time he was on our podcast was in episodes 61 and 64, hmm. the Reverend and Most Honorable John Lynch. Very fun, man. From trueface.org and the author of, uh, one of the co-authors of the book, The Cure. Yeah. So looking forward to that. That's next week. Johnny, thanks for joining us today on this episode. <laughs> My pleasure. Today and, and every week, and we'll see you all next week on the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Angela, and I want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you haven't already, you should subscribe to our weekly email at 200churches.com and to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You know it. We'll be back next week with another amazing and encouraging episode just for you. Until then, may God bless you as you lead and love His church. Two weeks ago, in my sermon, I was talking about how I had preached this passage before. I said, if you pastor long enough, you start to preach passages you know, twice. I said, I've actually preached this sermon before. I said, at my last church, though, I didn't preach every week. I was just the associate pastor. I said, I I was like a dog waiting on the floor for crumbs to fall off the table. (laughs) People are laughing, laughing enough at that. What a a bold-faced lie. (laughs) I preached more here than I did with you. (laughs) Just waiting for scraps. Waiting for scraps to fall from Jeff's mouth. Yes, I will have those. Please, sir. May I have another? Oh, please, sir. Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Let's do this thing. Okay. 303, that means uh, you I, You say 303. I start. Okay. <clears throat> i got to get my podcast. Yes. pa 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 pa